Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that, whether on Saturday or, as today, on Friday afternoon, tells you about all of the terrible, horrible things that happened during the week that they don't want you to know about. No, they just want you to know the half of it. Maybe not even the half of it. I'm Kevin Barrett with Helen Bininsky of Helen of Destroy. Welcome, <laughs> Helen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, and always happy to talk about these insane News items. I mean, every week it seems like there's there's something even crazier. And uh, this week, hey, we don't even know where to start. But before we start, let's do our obligatory disclaimers. This is the question everything disclaimer. In fact, we even question why we have to do a question everything disclaimer. So get rid of that damn disclaimer. I don't think there's any reason for it. We've questioned it right out of existence. What next? Okay, the disturbing disclaimer. Uh, I'm very disturbed about having to issue this disclaimer about how disturbing we are. And finally, the medical and mental health disclaimer. Uh, whether you, I, or anyone else is suffering from medical or mental health issues, this show is not the place to worry about it. So let's go worry about something else, like all of the insane things that happened this week. How about the Bill Gates predicting the monkeypox outbreak? Uh I, I can't believe this. Uh, Helen, uh, is Bill Gates psychic or what? It's really funny because he feels like he didn't get enough props for like last time when he sort of vaguely hinted that there would be a pandemic sometime in the future. I think it was in like in, in 2015 and 2014 in some uh, TED talk. And some people were like, oh, yeah, he, he totally predicted that, but not enough people were. So this time he had to actually put down the date and make sure everybody knew that he was involved without like actually coming out and saying he was involved because that would be too much. But um, it's just the, the, the ego is control. And um, it's yeah, this, this whole monkeypox thing is, is quite a joke, but again, so is Bill Gates. So it's uh, a match made in hell from defective parts. So he's, he made sure he's going to get credit and he's, he's making sure the mainstream media promotes these so-called conspiracy theories about the pandemic treaty, which are being hyped in the, Washington Post. That's right. That was a lead story in Washington Post this week, as we see in the next slide. Hint, hint, Ellen. Uh, there we go. The global health talks uh, uh, where they're pushing the WHO treaty uh, looks like they are now being clouded by conspiracy theories, according to the Washington <laughs> Post. Oh, my goodness. Who, uh, Helen, who would have uh, guessed? Yeah, who would have guessed? <laughs> Bill Gates would have guessed like he would have guessed when the monkeypox started. So um, I'm trying to figure out whether there's a conspiracy to promote conspiracy theories or what. Well, back in uh, when the COVID first came out, the WHO was all up in arms about how there was an infodemic going on, as in like the, the people talking about the coronavirus was like in some way scarier or more harmful than the actual coronavirus, which I mean, it's possible that it's true because people sharing like really stupid uh, advice about COVID, like go to the hospital, get remdesivir, die on a ventilator. Uh, that's really bad advice, and that will totally kill you way faster than the COVID would. But um, yeah, yeah, you need a, ki a kidney even more than Bin Laden did back in two thousand one. Indeed, and your and your kidney will not be capable of masterminding uh, nineteen random dudes to like knock down three buildings with two planes. But um, at any rate, this yeah, this this whole uh, conspiracy theory thing. It's like, what exactly did they expect? I think they would be more disappointed if people did like theories about sort of things because they're obviously rubbing it in our faces. They clearly want us to know that they know that we know what they're doing. And at, at this point, it's just like uh, the, the, the cartoonish like guy sitting in a chair, stroking a cat and rubbing his hands together. And it's like, that'd be called Schwab. 
Yeah, Charles Schwab, which is, was basically a character designed to embody this whole thing. And right. Tedros was, was reappointed uh, head of WHO today, I believe. So it's like that. There's no democracy involved here. There's no like this is this is this the, the, the pandemic treaty is supposed to supersede all national law. So like the fact that people aren't uh, a little concerned about that. Anyone who wasn't spouting quote unquote conspiracy theories about that, I would be a little worried about them. And if you want to push back against this, go to worldcouncilforhealth.org. That's uh, recommended by Kat McGuire of False Flag Weekly News. And that's where they have activist buttons and things you can do to try to prevent the WHO from taking over the world. And indeed, uh, they are hoping to confirm the pandemic agreement in the 77th World Health Assembly in 2024, if not before. So again, worldcouncilforhealth.org is the place to push back. And then getting back to that Bill Gates monkeypox story. Let's get into the details about this leaked document. It's from the Nuclear Threat Initiative. Now, I didn't know monkeypox was a nuclear threat, but uh, <laughs> who knows? Uh, so, so this this whole study looked at the outbreak of monkeypox virus in the fictional country of Brinia on Mar- May fifteenth, twenty twenty two, and this this was run last year. So they knew that May fifteenth, twenty twenty two, was going to be the day that monkeypox would break out, and indeed it did. So. The scary thing about this study, Helen, is that they envisioned that by December 2023, cases have reached 3.2 billion. That must be people. And then if you count up the little pox buttons on the people, that must be in the trillions. <laughs> and then 271 million people have died from monkeypox by December 2023. I hope that that part of the simulation doesn't also uh, turn real or go live. Well, at least if you take the, the COVID uh, simulation as sort of a... Pre, a predecessor to this, like they also predicted 65 million people would die. And of course that didn't happen. So the large numbers of deaths are, have multiple uses one to scare the shit out of everybody and get them to fall in line behind whatever ridiculous policies, lockdowns, um, vaccine passports, etc., that they want everybody to take up under penalty of death, death by monkeypox, death by bureaucracy, death by whatever. It doesn't really matter. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's entirely possible that that's just for fear provoking purposes, especially because monkeypox itself is not fatal. Um, it's been funny to watch the WHO try to ratchet up the fatality rate. Like it, originally they're like, Oh, it's like chicken pox and you're over it in two weeks. And then like the next day they're like, Oh, three to 6% of cases are fatal. And then the other day I saw ooh, as many as 10% of people die of this thing. So like by tomorrow, by next week, it'll be like a hundred percent of people die horribly. Don't pop the, the monkey pox pimple. Everybody. Sorry. What? <laughs> and then up to, then there'll be 110 percent of the of the people. Yeah, today. yeah, exactly. Well, which gets us into COVID type uh, statistics, which are bogus statistics. Which brings us back to Bill Gates and his, one of his favorite books, How to Lie with Statistics. There you go. And hey, it, it sure reassures me that several of the participants in this monkeypox study also participated in Event 201, which foresaw oh, yeah. the COVID pandemic. So they're getting practice at this. I mean, how, how many more scamdemics do we have to have here? Well, I mean, they, they, this was also part of the Munich Security Conference, which is like the, this completely ridiculous, like warmongering, fearmongering. It, it takes all of the like warmongering and fearmongering from the other conferences and sort of like mashes them all together into this super like volcano of just complete bullshit, like 
evil statecraft. I don't really know how to express that more, more coherently, but this is where all the scumbags go together to exchange tips on being scumbags without the whole overlay of like financial fit, uh, bumbling, like as Davos would be. That's all more about finance bumbling. This is more about like war bumbling and like biological weapons and nuclear weapons. And how do we just kill everyone instead of just, you know, squashing them under the heel of our giant debt shaped boots? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, if indeed they decided to release the monkeypox in mid May, as uh, envisioned in their drill, as a commercial for pushing through that WHO treaty, it looks like they may have leaked their monkeypox from a Ukraine lab. At least that's what we saw in this, this ECDC tweet. ECDC sources tell me that the preliminary analysis of monkeypox indicates that it is a third lab strain with unknown characteristics, and there is chatter about this being somehow related to Moscow's charges against U.S. biological activities in Ukraine, uh, tweeted by this, this Braddock insider on Saturday. And now we hear that a joint Russian-Chinese task force is looking into the possibility that the monkeypox emerged from the U.S.-Ukraine uh, biolabs. So it's uh, almost as if they're kind of rubbing our faces in this. They've been rubbing our faces in this for the last few years, if anybody hasn't been paying attention. <laughs> I mean, I would be much more surprised if something hadn't come out of these various labs. I mean, they, they can't leave that plot line hanging, especially after Victoria Newland admitted they existed. And that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you don't admit these things exist unless there's a, a big part of the story depends on their uh, being involved. And so the children's health defense story on this kind of covered the whole thing. So that that was probably the best one. Which one is that? This one? No, the next one, I guess, I think. No, this is it. Yeah, the children's yeah. health defense story that covered both aspects of the monkeypox scare as PR for the World Health Organization treaty effort. Uh, and then there was another really good article on this. This the other uh, of the of the two best articles. This is one, and then the other one is uh, this one from uh, published here at UNS by Whitney Webb uh, about the background, the, uh, the follow the money aspect of the monkeypox scare. It turns out that emergent biosolutions and SEGA technologies apparently are going to be rescued from bankruptcy by the monkeypox scare. Now, SEGA produces a smallpox treatment, and that's all they produce, called T-pox. And it's, uh, it's run by Ron Perlman, one of the most uh, corrupt and notorious insiders uh, with close ties to the Clintons, to Jeffrey Epstein, to the Democratic Party establishment. And then Emergent Biosolutions, which is also apparently going to be saved by the monkeypox scare, was previously known as Bioport and was involved in the anthrax attack on America of 2001, founded by Fuad al-Hibri just months before those anthrax attacks. And they contracted with Battelle Labs, to help with their anthrax, anthrax vaccine program just shortly before 9-11 and then the anthrax letters. Uh, Robert Cadillac is tied to that company. He's the world's foremost exponent for using bioweapons as uh, deniable weapons against adversaries' economies. And, of course, Cadillac ran da Dark Winter. And then Crimson Contagion, which was the exercise that envisioned uh, the COVID pandemic just a few months before the COVID pandemic happened. So follow the money and you see the players who are getting rich off these things. Yep. Basically, they, they reward these people for their many years of service in like poisoning people around the world by ensuring their portfolios remain fat, even as the rest of the country's economy goes down the toilet. 
Um, it's yeah, the the just this this the, if you follow the strands from like Dark Winter and Crimson Contagion and all these things, it's the same people over and over and over again. And if you just wonder, like, why has no one just put these people out of their misery? Not that I would recommend any such thing. I'm completely one hundred percent opposed to violence. I'm speaking completely metaphorically here. Why hasn't haven't these motherfuckers been put out of their misery? Because they're really causing a lot of damage to the human race, and um, the world would just be a better, much better place without them. Well, you know. Putin says, or rather, at least the Russian government says that there are going to be war crimes trials and that some of them may involve these biolabs in Ukraine. So if somehow the Russians could put all these people on trial or maybe even the Chinese, because I think they were probably attacked with COVID first after, you know, before Iran was attacked, um, maybe when we get to that true multipolar world, we'll actually uh, be able to have some war crimes trials and these people will be ex extradited to some place like The Hague or maybe uh, Moscow or Beijing or wherever they set up the next round of war crimes trials and these people will all be hanged by their necks until dead. And I certainly wouldn't advocate that unless they had had a fair trial first. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, the idea of there being any such thing as a, as a war crimes tribunal that all of these countries would voluntarily sign up to is unfortunately, I think, a pipe dream. But um it would be nice if people were held accountable. The, the fact that they aren't going to be is why I'm suggesting this this other more, uh, let's say, improvisational route towards uh, justice. And, um, yeah, if you can, do. Okay. Well, C.J. Hopkins is uh, pretty he's, – he's, he's doing some pretty uh, hardcore satirical activism here. Uh, and his Monkeypox Mania article was another uh, another good article this week. Uh, pointing out that the new normal was never about COVID specifically. It was about implementing a new reality. And uh, their message is, don't be a monkeypox denying, conspiracy theory, anti-vax, Putin-loving disinformationist, which is pretty much what they probably call us. But I'd say we're just trying to tell the truth, and that's what they don't like. Yeah, no, I, I, I like his stuff because he he gets it. I mean, he was one of the early people pointing out that COVID was a cult and that this whole thing is aimed at dividing and conquering and transforming the uh, thought processes of normal human beings into those of the average potato, um, which is basically you see mask, you fear, you see mask, you wear mask, you see virus 3D model on TV, you fear, you cough. You fear everything. The reaction is fear and the reaction is just uh, they, they, the ruling class don't want to have to actually go around and kill every single one of us themselves. That would take a lot of time that they could otherwise be spent raping children or whatever they do in their spare time. So they want us to go after each other. And that's what this whole thing is about, which is turning turning you against your neighbor and under the name of all oh, those evil anti-vaxxers slash disinformation readers slash Putin Nazis slash whatever. Uh, the term of the day is. So this this whole uh, monkeypox thing, it sounds like it's just so obvious and out in the open that I guess we just can't talk about it. We're like the, the three monkeys in that proverbial <laughs> picture right? with a mask on the mouth, the mask on the eyes and uh, the, the mask over the ears. Uh, you know, see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil, whatever. And we can't speak, see or hear any evil about the people who are doing these things. Um, so, uh, tie your masks on over everything, folks. No, those monkeys will be found to be the first casualties of monkeypox. Mark my words. <laughs> okay. It sure it looks that way. And then there was that 12 monkeys movie too. Speaking of monkeys, it seems like there's a, there's a monkey thread through this whole uh, bio war, uh, hoax, uh, slash, uh, whatever it is that's going on here, geopolitics slash hoax things. But, um, 
Let, let's go and investigate some shootings because there was, of course, the huge shooting in, in the, the Texas school in Uvalde. But there was also, let's remember, the shooting of Shireen Abu Akla. Uh, now, they don't want you to remember that. That was just a little over a week ago. She was indeed uh, shot dead and targeted by Israel, as CNN's investigation even found and admitted. But after protesting this uh, 10 days ago, the Biden administration it just went ahead and welcomed the Israeli defense minister to D.C. He, of course, was her killer. He's the head of the group that killed her. And the, they dropped their demand for a real investigation. The Israelis basically admitted that they did it and then said that they won't investigate themselves. Uh, so here's a shooting that I guess doesn't need investigation. The investigation has happened. We know who did it. And they still have impunity. Of course, yeah, this, this is always, they, I'm surprised that CNN even did an, an, a little investigation of their own. I mean, I would expect that they would just embrace the, the Israeli line on the story, which is Palestinian bad coverage, fair, fair-minded coverage of Palestinian bad. Um, but yeah, this is ridiculous. They actually shot, the, 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 this was not an accident. This, the, they not only shot her, but then went after the people in her funeral and just really made a horrific spectacle of themselves and, as usual, yeah, the Biden administration worships at their feet and throws money at them and says, please, please give us more of your bioweapons. Infect our citizens. We love your viruses. And Shereen Abu Akhla was shot. Uh, and the first coverage, the initial coverage was all pretty much like uh, it, she was shot during clashes, you know, by unknown parties. Oh, yeah, Israel blames the Palestinians. They said it was probably the Palestinians that did it. And then that lasted for a couple of days and that story fell apart. So somebody did actually investigate and it was pretty straightforward. Well, we need to investigate other shootings as well, such as the Uvalde shooting. But if you do investigate or even say that it needs to be looked into or it's suspicious, you're going to be uh, beat up by the mainstream media and MediaMatters.org, which is beating up Alex Jones for agreeing with the caller that this was very suspicious. And there were definitely suspicious details, as we see in the next slide. The police waited for almost an hour outside the school while the shooting was going on before they finally went inside. And the media is starting to publish uh, some stories on these anomalies today, uh, you know, long after the alternative world was scratching their heads over it. Uh, so, Helen, do you think this is a suspicious shooting? Could it possibly be a mind-controlled shooter or some sort of false flag? And if so, what would be the purpose? Well, it's suspicious as hell. I mean, the fact that they've had basically a mass shooting every week in the last few weeks, they're clearly trying to get gun control laws passed. The fact that uh, these bodies were not even cold before celebrities were dancing all over their graves, demanding bans on assault rifles and assault weapons without really knowing what either of those two phrases means. Um, and uh, there is definitely a possibility that the guy is mind control. I don't know so much about this one as opposed to the, the last one, the one, uh, the 18 year old kid in, who shot up the supermarket in Buffalo. But there was a link. There was this guy in a chat room that they both frequented who it turns out had, uh, predicted, uh, that there would be uh, another one in Texas as he was, uh, chatting with this guy up in Buffalo. And so the, the, well, I don't, know if the nature of that person has been revealed yet it seems pretty clear that they're either a federal agent or a former federal agent a lot of times the fbi will farm this sort of highly illegal shit out to one of their private contractor buddies and um it's very likely that the, this was 
Uh, at least the guy in Buffalo was definitely a mind control shooter. This guy is also possible was a mind control shooter. Again, I don't know th- the, as much of the details about his background, but the dodgiest part is probably, okay, so he's talking about how he was made fun of for being poor. How did he have the money to go out and get a $2,000 plus uh, rifle and then uh, more, m- multiple rifles, supposedly? And then he sends the receipt to his buddy, on his not even his buddy, his acquaintance online. That sounds to me like sending the receipt to your agent who's grooming you for this shooting that you're about to commit and saying, hey, I spent this much dollars. Can you reimburse me, please? I'm poor. And then, of course, uh, the agent, uh, Bob, there goes and reimburses him because, you know, we need to have our mass shootings go smoothly. And yeah, the, this the whole waiting outside for an hour thing, didn't we have the same thing in Parkland? Like, didn't, yes. aren't people, like, figuring out that, that, that this is maybe, you know, not the way to do things? Um, yeah, and the fact that parents actually broke free of the cops and ran into this one. I think that people are at least uh, at least parents of kids who are getting killed at these things are starting to notice that, hey, you know, um, it's almost like they don't have our kids' best interests in mind. Gee, I wonder. Um, yeah, this is a little ridiculous. So, I mean, the more that media actually pays attention to this, the better. I mean, despite the best efforts of not so much Alex Jones, but uh, your friend Jim Fetzer, who um, made it very difficult for a very long time for anybody to investigate one of these incidents without getting completely destroyed um, as some sort of monster for going after, oh, the poor parents of the children and et cetera. I mean, you got to pick and choose who your targets are, and it, it helps to actually have r- real information on your side before you go after people. Just, you know, yeah, public absolutely. service announcement. Well, I'm going to have John Hankey on the live radio show uh, this evening, Friday evening. Uh, he thinks it was an MK Ultra shooter. Uh, he has a, his interpretation of the motive is kind of odd. Uh, the part I agree with is he thinks that, like Sandy Hook, these kinds of shootings are partly designed to entrap people like Jim Fetzer uh, to kind of uh, you know go the full Fetzer and then make conspiracy theorists look stupid and, and mess with the truth movement. So that. that part is somewhat plausible. But then he also thinks it's not so much about gun control as it's about shifting the conversation to gun control, which he thinks is an issue that Republicans win on and Democrats lose on. So he thinks Republicans are doing these shootings. Uh, you know, he thinks the abortion debate politically favors the Democrats. Changing the topic to gun control favors the Republicans. I don't know. To me. No, that's uh, bogus. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to have to find out his numbers there because the polls look about the same for those issues to me. And I don't quite understand how that works. But maybe no, a, pile, a pile of dead kids is not going to favor the Republicans for gun control. That, does, that doesn't make any sense at all. What, what does he think was the guy's mo- was the person's motive or? or well, no, he, he thinks it's just MK Ultra. He, oh, like, okay. he studied. He did a film on the murder of JFK Jr. And he's convinced that the co-pilot was M- an MK Ultra co-pilot who was hypnotized to take the plane down. And uh, he thinks that same methodology has been used in mass shootings yeah. as well. But yeah, I think he, he may be partly right about some of that. But like, I agree with you, Helen, I don't understand yeah, how he's in favor of Republicans. Uh, but it's not just conspiracy theorists like us and and uh, John Hankey and uh, Jim Fetzer and Alex Jones. Don't put me in the same category as Fetzer and Jones. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, yeah, if you just just people uh, who are as far outside uh, the establishment discourse as we are in all of our various ways, some of us more uh, fact-based than others. Uh, but it's also people like Meryl Ness, who actually was pretty mainstream up until she started getting out of line talking about covid uh, in ways that struck me as pretty sensible. Uh, now Meryl Ness is on the record suggesting that, yes, uh, the MK Ultra style mind control hypothesis needs to be looked into here. So, hey, uh, Meryl, is, since she came on my radio show, I, I noticed she's really been 
uh, talking about things that she probably didn't speak publicly about in past years. Well, I think that once you've uh, been blacklisted for COVID, you realize that perhaps you don't have as much to lose as you once thought you did. I mean, I've been I've been asked to why I, I approach certain topics when they would be bad for my quote unquote career. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, I've already poked the 9-11 bear, poked the COVID bear. Um, I don't have a career. So. <laughs> right. What have we got to lose? You know, we're not going to get kicked off false flag weekly news for talking about this. We might get deplatformed, but uh, we are going to keep saying whatever we want to say on this platform as long as it exists. Uh, so uh, more in completely insane stories this week. Um, this this may be the most insane story of all. Uh, the DHS uh, has appointed 9-11 suspect Michael Chertoff uh, to review its disinformation squad implosion uh, in order to, quote unquote, achieve greater transparency around our disinformation related work. Uh, Helen, how, how does appointing Chertoff, who was running the criminal division of the Justice Department on 9-11 and then became DHS secretary as obviously one of the high 9-11 perps, had his cousin Benjamin Chertoff appointed to write the much cited popular mechanics anti-9-11 truth piece that has been the number one cited piece by every anti-9-11 truth uh, propagandist ever since. Uh, how, how do they think that appointing Chertoff to, uh, to run this uh, disinformation squad implosion damage control effort is somehow going to increase transparency. It's right up there with like have it when they tried to have Kissinger run the 9-11 inquiry, it's just so like right in your face and they're just rubbing your face in it. And it's like, Oh, it's really bad. I mean, they're literally inviting Nosferatu into the house and saying, here, here's my 14 uh, year old daughter. Don't whatever you do, don't feast on her lovely carotid artery. Uh, that that would be really wrong, you vampiric piece of shit, you. <laughs> he, he he's a really. Uh, I mean, but that that's one of those times you can tell a book by its cover. But anyway, uh, yeah, this this is absolutely horrifying. And as I said, when uh, Nina Jankowitz was pulled from the job, uh, this isn't over. We have not seen the last of the Ministry of Truth. It's about to get worse. And I was right. So. Um, but hey, yes. DHS was telling the truth for once because they they said they're appointing Chertoff to achieve greater transparency around our disinformation related work. Oh well, yeah, they are. They're transparent. All right, it's like hey, uh, we we like disinformation. You don't like disinformation? We're going to kill you or at least lock you up. Right. Well, nothing like transparency from DHS and the disinformation squad. Well, more transparency. Let's look into the background of Nina Jankowitz a little bit. And it's quite a background, as Mint Press tells us in this next investigative article. Uh, Nina Jankowitz doesn't just sing Mary Poppins songs. She went to Kiev and hosted the YouTube channel of the U.S. and U.S. U.K. U.S. government fact checker Stop Fake, which whitewashes the uh, Ukraine uh, Nazis. She apparently is an Azov Battalion groupie. Hey, is she one of those Jewish women that get turned on by muscular guys with swastika tattoos, or is that just disinformation? Inquiring minds want to know. Um, Nina Jankowitz, wow, I didn't realize she had this kind of background, so good job, uh, Mint Press News. Yeah, she's a real scumbag. I mean, they, they found, again, you can tell the book by its cover, she she looks like somebody you would not want to run into in a dark alley, let's say. But, um, yeah, no, this is a good, a good research uh, piece. 
Yeah, she works for all the CIA friends, you know, the Atlantic Council, which has come after me. Oh, the Atlantic Council is one of the worst. Yeah, and Stop Fake, which is, like, completely bogus. I think they were part of the Wikipedia uh, scam yes. to cover yeah. up the Yeah, the yeah, they, they were just attacking Julian Assange in every possible way. And then she also worked for the British Islamophobic MI6-related PSYOP outfit called Zinc Network. So she's a certified Islamophobe, too. She was pushing 9-11 propaganda before she was pushing Ukraine propaganda. Uh, a real Mary Poppins disinformation, uh, the nanny that you want to control what you can see on your computer screen. And so I would have nominated her as the typhoid Mary of disinformation. But Glenn Greenwald says that Nicole Wallace deserves that, uh, <laughs> that award. She uh, is what? Uh, she, she's right up there with David from Michael Hayden, Jeffrey Goldberg, oh, Joe Scarborough and Liz Cheney. All of these beloved liberal icons who are, in fact, neocon 9-11 war criminals. Uh, or 9-11 propaganda war criminals anyway. So Greenwald, once again, I think has got it right. Only, I, I don't know if Nicole really uh, beats out Nina as the typhoid Mary of disinformation. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think Nina was kind of under the radar until very recently. This one has been around for a little while longer. She has, has been on TV. I, I wasn't familiar with her because I don't watch TV, but I think a lot of other people were. Yeah, same here. I mean, I, I kind of vaguely recognize the face and I, I do know some of those other ones, uh, From and Hayden. Oh, yeah, I know From. That, that dude is a total scumbag. I mean, talk about, like, I mean, the, the fact that somebody like David From, who literally wrote speeches for George W. Bush, could then go and be reinvented as, like, the Atlantic's, like, liberal stalwart uh, guy is just completely, it just proves that people have no memory past, like, two seconds. It's a serious goldfish bowl situation. Yeah, I actually... Uh, called David from out on 9-11 and did a little 9-11 truth number on him when he was on Wisconsin Public Radio back in maybe 2004, probably. And uh, his response was something along the lines of, you know, I, I, I have nothing in common with your worldview. Uh, and that's all I have to say. That's <laughs> so, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I took that as a compliment. So what's our next story? Uh, oh, Carl Cameron. <laughs> yeah, Carl Cameron says we have to call the police on Tucker Carlson because he claims that Carlson has been screaming fire in a crowded movie house for years. Some sooner or later, law enforcement and the U.S. government is going to have to stop the lying. They're going to have to arrest Tucker Carlson. I don't know. I mean, does Tucker Carlson really lie on the air more than these other people? I don't think so. If anything, he lies less than the other people. I mean, he lies occasionally. Of course, they all do. But um, he's less offensive than most of the other guys on there. That's what I would have thought. And I would have said the same thing in certain respects about Carl Cameron until I saw this, because in our next slide, as you see, Carl Cameron famously reported some of oh, his yeah, really connections to 9-11. Here he is yeah, uh, talking about how in the run-up to 9-11, the biggest espionage operation against the United States ever mounted within U.S. borders uh, was the Israeli operation involving many hundreds, if not thousands, of agents who came here during the run-up to 9-11 and just cased all of these extremely sensitive U.S. government facilities, including 36 ultra-sensitive Department of Defense sites. What were they doing? Well, uh, the FBI people that blew the whistle on this said that they were tracking al-Qaeda operatives in the United States. So basically they were babysitting these 9-11 hijacker patsies who had nothing to do with 9-11, but were being set up and the Israelis were babysitting them to make sure that they would get away with their role of being set up to be successful hijacker patsies. And of course, the Israelis were also uh, filming and celebrating the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center. They may also have been planning truck bombings of the George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel. And they may have gotten caught at all of those things, and it may all have been brushed under the rug. And at least some of it was reported by none other than Carl Cameron. So 
hey, Carl Cameron, Tucker Carlson, two guys who actually tell the truth on national TV every once in a while. Yeah, and it's, as, as always, you see these images of these old news broadcasts. The quality of them degrades noticeably over time because YouTube knows that people are watching this and they want to make it as blocky and as difficult to see what's actually going on there as possible. So you see over the years, like this one, there's that 1975 or whatever it is, a swine flu piece on 60 Minutes that, that really has a big problem with this. It, the, this the, the heads gradually turn from like a human face to like this blocky orange circle and, like, it becomes completely incoherent to look at. And that's on purpose. YouTube does this. Well, yeah, you know, that that's true even for stuff that was done you know, totally digitally. Uh, yeah, instance, that's what I mean. It's you know, like, like my interview with Kennedy in 2006, for instance, they did that to that as well. Now, why would that degrade? Digital files don't degrade. You know, uh, celluloid does. Old movies degrade. Uh, and old videotape degrades. But digital files don't. So when they're imposing fake degradation on these video files... What are they trying to achieve? Gosh, I can't imagine. It's almost <laughs> like they're trying to push disinformation down our throats or something. Yeah, yeah. I guess they, they don't want us to, to see uh, vivid depictions of these all-too-revealing images, I suppose. Well, hey, we had a Bushism story uh, last week as Bush uh, <laughs> confessed to his unjustified, uh, well, to election fraud, followed by his uh, unjustified and evil invasion of Iraq, I mean Ukraine. And now this week, he's confessed to the fact that the U.S. broke its promise to Russia not to move NATO even one inch eastward. And his excuse is times have changed. Well, he he apparently was pranked by Vovan and Lexus. I love those guys. (laughs) They convinced him that he was talking to, uh, uh, to, to Valensky, to, Volinsky, what's his name? Zelensky. Volinsky, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so apparently, if the U.S. makes an agreement with Russia and times change, it doesn't have to keep the agreement. So I'm going to try that when my bank wants me to repay my loan. Hey, man, times have changed. We should all try this. I mean, clearly, this is how democracy works. And we live in a democracy as our uh, ruling class never stops reminding us while beating us with a stick, because that's also part of democracy. It is. It is. And so. Um, foiling plots to kill the ex-president is, is also part of democracy. That happened this week as the FBI foiled what was probably an FBI terror plot. I was going to say, yeah. Push. Foiling their own plots is part of the FBI's democracy uh, pushing. Agenda. That's what they do. They're very good at foiling their own plots. And they've done this over and over many, many hundreds. Every, almost every single you know, Islamic terror plot in the U.S. since 9-11 has been an FBI terror plot that was pushed on a retarded Muslim teenager that some... A guy from in prison who was in there for being a, a really good con artist is let out. The FBI gives him an early release, has him do a fake Muslim conversion, go out to mosques and try to convince stupid teenagers to say stupid things on camera or on tape that can be led to get them arrested as terrorists. So they, they do all the terror plots. Same thing happens in Canada. It actually got proven in that Vancouver case. And so now they're having this guy, Shihab, Ahmed Shihab, uh, do a terror plot to kill <laughs> kill George W. Bush. Well, I mean, they might as well have him, like, throw an exploding shoe at him. I mean, that, that would be my, you know, if they're going to try and kill Kasher with exploding cigars, they should try to kill Bush by throwing an exploding shoe. What do you think, Helen? That would have been poetic justice. When I heard about this case, I was hoping it had been some sort of shoe-based weapon. But when I heard it wasn't, I was like, mm, no, probably FBI plot. And yeah, as we were talking about earlier with, with the mass shooters, these are these two are FBI plots, and you end up finding out that incidents like January 6th is just FBI, 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 FBI. Everybody's an FBI agent. Proud Boys, all led by FBI agents. All of these groups, FBI everywhere. So it's like 
if they actually took some time out from setting up their own terror plots and, and carrying them out and busting them to look like heroes, they might actually catch a criminal or two. Well, you know, they've got so much money to throw at this stuff. I wonder if the FBI could pay me. I'll, I'll be able to play the role of the con artist, and I'll find some impressionable, uh, attractive woman. That could be you, Helen. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll teach her to take off her spike heels. At first, she has to get close to George W. Bush, and that shouldn't be too hard. And then she'll whip off her spike heels and impale and f- fling it, and it'll That's impale him right through the ears. And, and his gr- brain, brains will squirt out the other side. And, uh, and then you can be arrested, and then I can take my FBI check. No, I have terrible aim. I'll, I'll go to the local strip club and I'll tech, tell one of the strippers to take her big ass shoe and throw it at George W. Bush because she'll have better aim than I do, and then I won't get arrested. But the stripper will get arrested, and, and the world will. The FBI continue. payment with me. Okay, there you go. Well, uh, the news—you know—it can't get any more absurd, can it? Well, let, let's find out. What's our next story here? Oh no, this is uh, the Iran revenge story. We had the uh, revenge on Bush story, and here is the Iran revenge on Israel story. Uh, Colonel Hassan Syed uh, Khodai was murdered last week, uh, 4 p.m. local time, when two motorcyclists shot him five times while he was in his car. And the Israelis basically took credit for it. And then they had to close all their embassies worldwide because they know the Iranians are coming for them. Why do the Israelis do this? What's the point? You kill some Iranian guy and maybe the Iranians will kill one of your guys. And like back in the Cold War, the Russians and the Americans knew not to do this. And if we kill one of their guys, they're going to kill one of our guys. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. But they're not supposed to be that stupid when they reach these high levels in the national security establishment. But the Israelis, they are that stupid. What's well, wrong it's with- not necessarily that they're stupid. They, they, they need to create the illusion that the, everyone in the world is after them and that they're constantly being persecuted. And that if, if they stop uh, committing terrorism, even for five seconds, then somebody is going to come out of nowhere and kill them all. And so they do stuff like this, hope that, well, no, they don't even have to hope. They just uh, demand that it be memory hold in the media. And then when Iran comes out and says, oh, yeah, we're going to get revenge now, they say, hey, look at these guys. How dare they say this to us? We did nothing. We did absolutely nothing. We're just sweet little innocent kittens and puppy dogs. And now Iran is going to kill us all. How dare they? This is an outbreak of anti-Semitism worldwide. We need trillions of dollars now. Or else you're an anti-Semite too, and you're a terrorist, and we're going to bomb you. I mean, uh, somebody else is going to bomb you, and we're going to claim that it was them, but it was actually uh, us. And, yeah, so that sort of thing is why they do this sort of thing. Well, that's a sort of NATO's strategy, using Ukraine yeah. to poke the Russian bear. Poke, poke, poke. And then the bear roars Where do you think they oh learned it? That, yeah, that mean bear. He's that mean bear. He's trying to eat me. Uh, well, let's move to the Ukraine war stories this week. We're This is the first week where we've had to get to story 19 to get to a Ukraine war story. <laughs> uh, and, and here's the Ukraine war story. That, um, you know, we've been hearing nothing since this war started, except that Ukraine is, is winning. Russia is losing and, and Russia is losing and committing atrocities, losing and committing atrocities, losing and committing atrocities. Well, the losing part is that part is not working so well anymore. Here's a map showing just how badly Russia is losing. And uh, the this week we didn't have time to include them, but the New York Times and Washington Post just published stories basically admitting that Ukraine is losing. That so that part of the official narrative is, has pretty much fallen apart. That is definitely a big deal because uh, they've been from day one just constant cheerleading for Zelensky. And um, it's at, at a certain point, you it becomes much more difficult for you to deny reality when it's staring you in the face like this. I mean, it's like you can ship as much weapons to the Ukrainian army as you want if they don't know how to use them or they don't know what they're doing or they just are a bunch of random like dudes shipped in from 
foreign nations who thought they were going to be able to play hero without uh, any bullets in their guns, um, then yeah, you're going to have a problem, even if you have all of the money in the world. And uh, the U.S. seems to be intent on, for whatever reason, discharging all of its weapons supplies. And so I, I guess this is this is just so that we can order more from Lockheed and Raytheon and Boeing. But if we're really having this chip shortage that we're supposedly having, how are those weapons going to work? I ask rhetorically. But um, that's a question that they might need to answer at some point. So we're sending $60 billion so far to Ukraine. And as I recall, we spent more than $6 trillion trying to defeat Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. We basically failed. We lost. That's 100 times as much as we've sent to Ukraine so far. So somehow I'm not sure that throwing money at this problem is going to work. Okay, so the, the Russia is losing, Russia is losing, Russia is losing. That's basically uh, no longer the story. What is the story? So it's the only thing left is Russia is committing atrocities, Russia is committing atrocities. Wait a minute. Here is Newsweek uh, with William Arkin, kind of an interesting defense analyst, admitting that, uh, no, they're actually going to extreme lengths to try to avoid civilian casualties. Uh, so if Russia isn't losing anymore, and we're admitting that they're actually trying as hard as they can to limit civilian, civilian casualties. What happened to the whole propaganda line? That's a damn good question, because I, w- I would not expect to see a headline like this in mainstream media. Um, yeah, we've been seeing, oh, yes, they're killing everybody. They're, they're killing the puppies and the kittens, and they're killing the babies. They're, they're raping the cheerleaders. Yeah, uh, it's, everything. it's ridiculous, yeah. And, and ignoring all the Nazis taping people to flagpoles and stuff. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the fact is they could have flattened Ukraine in five seconds if they had wanted to, if they went starting out this. But I guess they're getting us ready because they're, I, I don't know, they're, they're, they want... They need more fear, maybe, and this is why they're exposing the fact that they've had these weapons, because we know they, they've had these weapons for a long time. And the fact that they don't just drop our aircraft carriers to the bottom of the ocean is an exercise in extreme restraint. I don't think I would be so patient. But um, it's, uh, yeah, if they wanted to, they could flatten Ukraine quite easily and most of Europe and possibly the U.S. too. But they don't because they're not insane, unlike NATO. So it's one thing to hear you say this kind of this true stuff on False Flag Weekly News. It's another thing to actually read something this honest in Newsweek. And so I think William Arkin is sort of a semi-truther in terms of establishment people. And so, you know, he's written what is what he calls the perfect 9-11 conspiracy novel. Not that his novel was perfect, but that he tried to imagine a perfect 9-11 conspiracy. He said he was so frustrated talking to 9-11 conspiracy theorists that he had to write a novel about how it actually could have worked if it really were a 9-11 conspiracy. And interestingly, he said that the basic premise is that they wouldn't do this just to go into Iraq and Afghanistan, but they maybe they would do it if it were like something really big and momentous uh, long-term, like uh, provoking a long-term war on Islam and the Islamic world. Wait a minute. I've been saying this whole thing was about provoking a long-term war on the Islamic world since pretty much it happened, and especially since I woke up to the whole 9-11 truth thing in like late 2003. So I did email him and urged him to come on my radio show to talk about this. I said he's barking up the right tree, and I'll even read his novel if he comes on my show, but I haven't heard back from him. So Send him a copy of Chris Ballin's book. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like his book is a kind of a weird sort of, you know, mix. It's like, you know, like Norman Mailer or uh, uh, what's his name? The, the uh, Don DeLillo on the JFK assassination, where there's a you know, certain amount of truthfulness mixed with all kinds of idiocy. Uh, I don't know why they have to mix in the idiocy, 
to publish because it. Because they want to get published. published. If yeah. you want to publish a fiction novel, you can't tell the whole truth or you're going to end up dead at your first book uh, review, your book signing. Some crazy just came out of the crowd and shot him. We don't know what happened. Well, Thomas Pynchon wrote a 9-11 truth novel that actually wasn't really so crazy, and he got lambasted by the Wall Street Journal for it. So Wait, I don't know why which William Which Pynchon novel is a 9-11 novel? I thought I read all his books. Oh, it's it's the – jeez, what's it called? Um Oh, it's the one set in New York with the the Jewish mother. That's not a 9-11 novel. I mean, it mentions, it's, the 9-11 is mentioned, but it's not really a. Yeah, if you read, if you read carefully the 9-11 stuff. uh, I'll read it again. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so the Russian peaceniks, uh, is there an uprising of Russian peaceniks? Well, we did have one former Russian diplomat, Boris Bondarev, who was a counselor at the Russian mission to the UN in Geneva, who uh, said, I'm ashamed of my country. Russia no longer has allies, which is weird because I don't think Russia ever had or lost any over this. Uh, but as soon as he did this protest, he was immediately invited over to Davos to hang out with the billionaires and their money. And he very pointedly said, quote, I think that if somebody offers to help in this difficult situation, I think it would be very gratefully accepted. And at Davos, I'm sure he'll find someone to help. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's that's kind of funny how how he was so quickly embraced by the system. It's the same thing with that uh, horrible woman, uh, Liz Wall, who used to be a broadcaster on RT. And she organized something with that, uh, forget which neocon group it was. It might have been part of the Atlantic Council. But that guy, that guy Jamie Fly, that neocon douchebag, they, they cooked up the, this stunt where she would resign on air in a huff. And supposedly it would be really spontaneous. But like, and now she's running for Congress and she's like been completely embraced by the deep state. And it's just, it's so grotesque, these people who like, that they use these things as their like social climbing platforms. I guess maybe if he was broke and he needed some money, to pay his rent or whatever, then, okay, fine, come out and say you're ashamed of your country and Davos will give you a few million. You can go back to doing whatever you like to do for the next 50 years. But um, it's a little sleazy. I mean, you don't go into the foreign service to pad your pockets. At least you shouldn't. Well, he's not going to have to live on a Russian civil servant's salary anymore, is he? That's what I mean. He's be flying back from Davos to the U.S. in somebody's Learjet, probably. And then another even crazier uh, Ukraine propaganda story here is Russian concert growers break into chants against Putin's Ukraine war uh, in video. This is published in Newsweek. Now, however, if you actually read the story, it says, quote, the video posted at around 8.30 a.m. on Saturday has yet to see any level of viral spread, being viewed a little over 130 times as of 10.30 a.m. Newsweek has also been unable to verify when the concert took place and what the concert goers in the video were actually saying. So there's a, a picture of a concert. And we're told the concert goers are protesting the war and they're over in Russia, but there's no evidence that they are. Uh, that so is insane. <laughs> that's the best they can do for their pro-Ukraine propaganda. They're really desperate. Well, that's the thing is that they've been putting this, I call it slopaganda, because it's been so bad. And it's just been like these people being paid so much money to do this crap. And like from the beginning, when they had that the ghost of Kiev, that was like a video game simulation of a, a plane flying around, shooting down Russian planes or a oh, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. And all those people who said that died. And no, actually, they were just a, taken prisoner and, you know, the standard, standard process and all of this stuff. 
that uh, these are really sloppy, not iconic at all. Not that they haven't tried to flog T-shirts and prayer candles and everything like they did with the Mueller investigation and the Fauci thing. And you can tell that there's a, a big scam going on when they start selling prayer candles of the central figure. First it was Mueller, then it was Fauci, now it's Zelensky. It's like, can you guys be any more obvious? <laughs> Yeah, I guess the smoke from those candles blows away the evil spirits or keeps them away. And I guess the first evil spirit you're trying to get rid of is the one whose picture is on the candle. I mean, that's all I can do. Or rational thought. I mean, I I think it's to to scare away rational thought, blow smoke up your own ass, etc. There you go. Well, so what's the truth about this? Are are there really like uprisings at Russian concerts and are all their diplomats resigning? Hardly. Putin's popularity has skyrocketed. See, that little dip there at the end of the chart is that all, that's the, or rather that rise, that rise in the popularity, the blue on the top and the drop in the unpopularity, that's the dark on the bottom, that all happens with the Ukraine war or the SMO as the Russians call it. So Putin's back up over 80% popularity now. So it's the Russian people actually have united behind him, which isn't that surprising because they see this as a pretty existential threat. And I don't blame them. NATO coming after them like this is obviously going to unite them to defend their country. So all of this insane propaganda where they find some video with a 100 views that shows some concert and they try to tell us what the concert goers are saying. Uh, all this is supposed to outweigh even the you know, Western admitted public opinion polls. I mean, well, it's, and it's, not even, it's not even just that. It's the fact that the ruble is up compared to what it was before the war. Um, the, the, the economy is actually doing in, in some ways better. And just like in the U.S., uh, approval rating of Biden goes down as inflation and gas prices go up. In Russia, it's the same. Approval rating goes up as value of currency goes up. And yeah, now that they've got the ruble at least semi-pegged to gold, I think that that's going to keep happening. As people see that they have more buying power, then uh, they're going to like what's going on, even if they don't particularly care one way or the other about the war. So it's one thing to be at war with Russia and uh, using this kind of insane propaganda as your main weapon. But let's uh, start a war with China at the same time. (laughs) Hey, Biden, that's brilliant. So here's our article from Andrew Anglin of the Daily Stormer. Oh, my God, it's it's a real uh, Nazi, the biggest Nazi in America. At least that's what we're told. Actually, his his stuff is fairly amusing and, and not Isn't he Jewish. Stupid. I thought he was Jewish. He probably is. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. Half the Nazis are <laughs> or the yeah, fake no, Nazis and the real Nazis, whatever the heck they are. I don't know. Anyway, he's pretty entertaining sometimes. And this particular article I thought was quite correct in pointing out that when Biden reversed this U.S. official policy of strategic ambiguity by saying that, yes, the United States will intervene militarily if China attempts to invade China? Well, yeah, because the U.S. admitted that Taiwan is part of China. We accepted the one China thing back in 1970. So Biden is now telling China that if they try to restore order in part of China, that we will attack them militarily. And naturally, the Chinese don't particularly appreciate this because it's a reversal of the past 50 years. Um, So... First, we get into a war with Russia, and now it looks like we're gunning for China. How many countries are we going to fight at the same time here? Well, I mean, the the end notion is to completely suck the husk of the United States dry. And uh, to do that, you have to just beat out every drop of money and liquid and whatever uh, goods that there is there to, to get out. So that means fight a war on as many fronts as possible. Uh, use up all the industries, completely squeeze out whatever's left of the military industrial complex and just make sure you've got all the resources out, people eating each other in the streets. And then you move over whatever is left to China and Israel. And then uh, 
that Israel thinks that it can do the same thing to China. I don't think that China is going to let that happen. I think China is a little more aware of the situation than the United States was, but um, that's what Israel has in mind, at least. And so to do that, they have to make sure that this, that the United States just gets completely crushed beneath the heel of its own uh, hubris. Well, if that's what Israel's doing, I think it's pretty stupid. I don't think they have enough say in them in China to uh, rule. That's the thing. They, they don't really seem to get it. Like, they've they've gone kind of mad with the power, let's say. Talk about hubris. Yeah, I mean, China is run by people who remember that whole history of Western colonialism. And Palestine is, of course, the perfect symbol of the horrors of Western imperialism and colonialism. So I, I think if China does end up running the world and the U.S. ends up having little influence in the Middle East, I think the Israelis are going to realize that they made a terrible mistake. But, hey, uh, whatever. Speaking of Biden's strategic genius, he's not only declaring war on China and Russia, he's issuing more nuclear threats now. I mean, this is like the second or third nuclear. I can't even keep track of Biden's nuclear threats. He probably can't either because he's seen them. There's no idea. <laughs> Here he is uh, on his first Asian trip committing to the nuclear deterrence uh, for the Republic of Korea. Now, this is the first time their joint statement has ever said that. So now he's threatening to use nuclear weapons in Korea as well as to fight China for Taiwan while he's essentially starting World War III against Russia in Ukraine. Too many wars. Yeah, like I said, the fight on, on as many fronts as possible. We've got to get that United States completely crushed flat because otherwise it'll get up and make some make some things inconvenient. And Kim is launching rockets uh, to send his message. Um, so so war is heating up everywhere. It's probably it would be a good time to move to the southern hemisphere or else to have access to a deep underground military base or a dumb. Um, but meanwhile, uh, here on the surface, or people like us who are in the line of fire might as well distract ourselves by looking at other things like sex scandals. Latest sex scandal is the New York Times tells us the Southern Baptists are almost as bad as the Catholics with their sex abuse. And I always thought it's it's pretty interesting the way that the largely Jewish-dominated mainstream media loves to beat up on the Catholics and now the Baptists about sex abuse, when in fact the Jewish child rape assembly line that we read about in this Christopher Ketchen article from a while back is actually a heck of a lot more horrifying and ubiquitous than any Christian sex abuse I've ever heard of. Um, so, hey, sex abuse, I guess it's an equal opportunity kind of sin uh, for these various religions. And I guess it's it's almost as uh, nasty to have to be thinking about as thinking about World War III. But, hey, we think about all the nasty stuff and pay attention to all the horrific news stories here. That's our job at False Flag Weekly News. We do it so you don't have to. Well, yeah, and, and the, the, the difference here between this uh, Hasidic situation and the Southern Baptist situation is that the Hasidic community is so much more insular that if you do uh, go up against somebody powerful, you're basically screwed. Like, you can't escape. You're, you have, have the people that don't even speak. Like, this anyway. Rabbi Rosenberg who exposed it. Yeah, is, uh, this, this guy, is this his story is intense. I mean, it's from 2013, but I, it's still worth reading, I think, uh, especially if you're... If you live in Brooklyn and you see these people walking around, you wonder what's life like in that community. I mean, I know people who have escaped from that community and uh, life is not good there, let's say. Yeah, it's like being raped is a rite of passage if you're growing up in that community, apparently. And I mean, you get married at 14 or whatever, and yeah. uh, your your whole purpose is to pop out 15 kids and, yeah, have fun with that. Yeah, yeah they, they think they're fighting the Nazis, apparently, by having lots of kids. Uh, oh, well, uh, 
how about slave rebellions? Yeah, I think we need a slave rebellion, and maybe we could model it on the the Haiti slave rebellion. Well, the problem with the Haiti slave rebellion here is that they got out of slavery, but they got into debt slavery, and we are the debt slaves who need a slave rebellion. So we need to go one step beyond what the Haitians did, and instead of just rebelling against our masters, we need to rebel and refuse any more debt slavery. According to this New York Times story, which is actually pretty decent as New York Times stories go, uh, Haiti has been just totally drained by these reparations that the former slaves were forced to pay to their masters, total of $560 million in today's dollars. It's the same story as African so-called independence after 1960, when the African countries were freed and they became so-called independent. But the uh, European and Western world manipulated the price of commodities such that the Africans ended up getting totally screwed and they were worse off than they were under colonialism in most cases. So it's time for worldwide slave rebellion against debt slavery. What do you think, Helen? Should we rise up and finish the Haitian Revolution? I think so. I mean, it's either that or I don't really see any other options. It's either that or become uh, the, the domesticated pets of the World Economic Forum. And I don't really want to be that. And I don't think most people who are watching this want to be that either. So, Yeah. And, and you know, in reading this story about the, how Haiti has just been you know, totally bled dry by this uh, this debt slavery since its revolution. If you actually look at other so-called developing countries, it's pretty much the same story. The details change. It's not exactly the same. But overall, uh, one way or another, as John Perkins exposes in his book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, we get them at we, the World Bank, the world's biggest bankers, the, the debt slave masters. They get them enslaved. They start forcing them to pay compound interest. They steal all of their stuff. They grab more and more of the resources. At some point, that process has to end. It's going to end either with a revolution or a jubilee or some combination thereof. And it can't happen soon enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this, what, this, what is going on right now is absolutely unconscionable. And, um, yeah, we got to rise up and throw these bitches out. Okay, and it has to be done in reality. I mean, you can't just talk about it because, you know, as uh, Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So, yeah, words cannot completely dictate reality, and that's the message that the U.S. propaganda machine hasn't gotten regarding the special military operation in Ukraine. As we mentioned, we keep hearing how the Russians are losing. Just hearing the Russians are losing, the Russians are losing, the Russians are losing doesn't mean they are. And the Russians are committing atrocities. That just hearing that over and over and over doesn't necessarily make it true. When Alice in Wonderland said, uh, what I say three times is true. Well, that's not true. And so here in our last slide, we have my little satirical piece about Biden uh, renaming the world's strategic waterways. He's going to call the Black Sea, the Red, White, and Blue Sea, the Persian Gulf, the American Gulf, and the South China Sea, the Southern American Sea. And that's going to keep the U.S. in charge of the world uh, just like naming, renaming chicken Kiev, or chicken Kiev or whatever it is, isn't necessarily going to change the way it tastes. Well, this is just like the, like the foreign minister of, I think it was Latvia or something, decided to rename the Baltic Sea the NATO Sea because Sweden and Norway wanted, I mean, not Norway, uh, Sweden and Finland want to join NATO. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, let's let's name our oceans after uh, insane military alliances that uh, exist out of sheer paranoia. Yeah, well, next step is just to draw a circle around everything outside the U.S. borders and make that our 51st state and be done with it. 
it seems like that's what some of the American exceptionalists would like to do. Somehow I don't think it's going to work, but uh, we'll know, I guess, uh, after a chicken Kiev lunch. But I've, I've got to go actually have a bite to eat before I do my live radio show. So thank you, Helen Bynisky, for coming back to False Flag Weekly News. I, I love your work and appreciate your honesty. And uh, there's the PayPal, Velociraptor. Velociraptor. Uh, and what's the next one? The next, the next one, one is Venmo and then Cash App. I can't Venmo and Cash App, Helen of Destroy. Dollars at sign Helen of Destroy. Dollar sign Helen of Destroy. Okay, you got it, viewers. Can't really see that. <laughs> you like Helen? Send her some money, and she'll be more inclined to back in the show. All right. Well, thanks, Helen. Thanks to all of our viewers who support the show. Thanks to Alan, the producer. See you all, God willing, next week. Bye. -bye.